FT Weekend Food and Drink is supported by Plymouth Gin. Hi, listeners. Welcome to the second episode of our special mini-series on food and drink. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with the sommelier and winemaker, Andre Houston Mack. Andre is a pioneer in the wine world. He was a sommelier for the famous restaurants French Laundry in Napa Valley and Per Se in New York City. And then he went on to launch his own wine label, Maison Noir. These days, Andre hosts a very popular YouTube show on Bon Appetit that explains wine. He's also opened six little beloved spots on one street in central Brooklyn. They're all within walking distance. There's a wine store, a ham bar, there's a seafood restaurant. I live nearby, and the restaurant is where I went to visit him for this conversation. I went to Andre because wine has gotten a lot more accessible over the past decade, and I just wanted to know why and how. Andre is one of the few black sommeliers in a historically very homogenous industry, and he approaches wine in a very open, kind of non-pretentious way. I really think he's part of the reason that its reputation is changing. It was also an opportunity to open a few bottles of wine to learn from him how to taste. Okay, this is FT Weekend, the podcast special edition. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Enjoy the show. Andre, hi, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to meet you too. I'm super stoked to be here. So I am excited to talk to you about wine, um, Mm -hmm. how certain wines get cool, uh, what the mechanism is behind that. Um, I'm hoping you can talk us through how we can build our own knowledge of wine. Absolutely. Um, But to start, I would love for you to just tell us where we are. Uh, We are in the Prospect Lefferts Garden neighborhood of Brooklyn. Uh, We're in one of my restaurants called Kingfisher, which is our seafood forward uh, restaurant. It's um, (laughs) very beautiful and it's new. You opened it Uh, last uh, October. Last October. Yeah. So if I have this right, you started your career and you were working at a bank? Uh, part of my career. I started yeah. my career working in fast food restaurants. Right. So I've always worked in restaurants. Yeah. You know, I was a licensed stockbroker, but I didn't, we couldn't give any type of advice, anything mm. like that. And then Travelers Group and Citibank merged together. Uh, and then they were doing away with my division. So I could reapply or I could take severance, which I had never heard of that word before in my life. Yeah. And I chose severance and I started to pack my desk. And she's like, hold on, hold on a second. (laughs) This is in about six weeks. Not right now. (laughs) You're like, I think I'm done. I'm like trying to leave (laughs) right now. And that was it. You know, I left and um, I took my severance and uh, I spent a lot of time on my sofa. At a certain point in the day, they would play back to back to back episodes of the show called Frasier. Yes. Uh, And it was through that show that gave me the courage for the first time to ever walk into a wine store. Mm. You know, from the outside looking in, the wine world is pretty pretentious. And definitely when you don't see anybody who looks like you, you're not real sure if it, you know, means it's for you. Yeah. And uh, that show gave me, you know, protected me in some way, you know, armed me with comedic antidote or something that I could walk into the, that store. Yeah. Uh, and then much like everything else, you know, you got along with everybody, you realized that it wasn't that scary. Um, and, you know, and then you stand too close to somebody and you catch the wine bug. Yeah. Before we go on, yeah, yeah. can I ask you if you can explain to anyone who hasn't seen Frasier yeah. <laughs> what what their relationship with wine is on that Yeah, show? you know, Frasier, you know, so him and his brother, they had this relationship around alcohol. Yeah. They were spot on when they talked about wine. You know, they, they had an argument about, you know, 61 O'Brien. 
Yeah. Right. Where, you know, I didn't even know what that was. But I did know at some point that 61 was a great vintage because it was mentioned several times on the show regarding Bordeaux. I didn't know what Sancerre was. I was introduced to all of these things on the show and they were pompous, which made them funny. And, you know, they really cherished uh, wine and that was a really a big part of their life. But it was all done in humor. And I think that was the reason that it allowed me to walk into the store. It opened it up. Yeah. 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 But I never thought that it would evolve into a career. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that one thing led to another. I had to go back to work. I ended up going back to work in restaurants. And I started to work at better restaurants with better wine lists. And that was it. And that got me deeper into wine. That was it. I, yeah. was, I was in deep. And uh, I spent every waking moment studying about wine, studying regions and all of this stuff. And yeah. all of that led me to, you know, at the time, the best restaurant in the world, which was the French Laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was 18 months. Mm-hmm. So after 18 months of being self-taught and studying wine on my own, I found my way to the French Laundry and was a sommelier there. As the hype started to build, you know, this was Thomas Keller's homecoming of sorts and one of the most anticipated restaurant openings in New York history. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. And so I moved to New York on Sight Unseen. And that was Per Se. Yeah, in yeah. 2004. Right. So after Per Se, you were, you started your own wine label in Oregon. Is that right? Can you yeah. tell me about that? I left Per Se, you know, I think just wanting more. Yeah. And for me, it was like, hi, you know what? Like, I, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to continue to learn about wine. And I want to have a little bit more creativity in my life. And mm-hmm. I felt like the best way to do that was to start my, making my own. I had no money. I had nothing. And I've always put it out in the universe uh, and let the, you know, the universe co-conspire with you to make shit happen. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, I wrote an email to everybody I had worked with over the last five years. And lo and behold, people started to Think of open you. their house. Yeah, they were yeah. like, hey, we normally sell this Merlot grapes to the bulk market, but we'd much rather sell them to you. I was like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. Incredible. Oh, uh, but I don't have any money. <laughs> and she's like, sure. she's, and she's like, she's like, okay. She's like, don't worry about it. Pay us when you sell it. Amazing. And then you <laughs> focused in on Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, you know, I had moved to, we were living here in Brooklyn and I'd never, you know, I didn't know my neighbors. Yeah. Uh, and we were like, we're going to open a restaurant. We're going to open a bar. Yeah. And I want to be a part, an extended family of all my neighbors. What better way to get to know them than to feed them? Yeah. Uh, and it was only supposed to be one place, mm-hmm. just the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then COVID happened and I was stuck in one place and I don't do well. And so I opened up six or seven other businesses right. during that time. <laughs> casually. Yeah. Yes, very casually. Um, so I'm curious, Andre, like what excites you most when it comes to wine? I mean, you make all of this. Entrepreneurship is very creative, but you make it seem especially creative. And mm-hmm. um, your excitement in, in learning about wine and building this business and these businesses is pretty palpable. So what is it about wine specifically that excites you? I think what I'm most excited about is like, is that it's a whole new frontier and it always has been mm-hmm. right. People don't expect me to, to be the person that knows the most about wine in any given room. And I like that. Like they don't see you coming. Right. And for me, all I ever wanted was like, Hey, this, this can all be much more fun than it is. Right. And we don't have to be as formal or as serious, but we can be professional and we can be knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Right. But it doesn't have to look like, tuxedos and ascots and taste of and stuff like that. I mean, Andre, that's why we're here is that like, it's very, the wine world used to be a very serious 
I don't want to say uptight, upright, like a very that's upright. About right. yeah, that's, that's, kind that's about a, right. Kind of yeah. an inaccessible world. And it yeah. got cool over yeah. the past 10 years, 20 really years. Cool. It got really cool yeah. and it got kind of countercultural. And mm-hmm. suddenly people started getting into types of wine that like everyone was into Georgian wine made in Anfora. <laughs> like what? Or was into Pinot Noirs from Portland, Oregon or was into. Well, it's funny. The Georgian wine from Anfora. Yeah. Uh, the de facto book written about it is my neighbor, Lisa Granick, who lives on my block. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> right? It's like totally. it's, it's around us and everywhere. Yeah. And I think that's what's cool. And like such specific niches. So how did that happen? Uh, As someone of, who was at the forefront of it. I think it, a like, lot of yeah. ways. I think I think technology. Well, mm-hmm. I, I have to say, like, a lot of things that have changed, right? Like, so education, yeah. like, uh, education, cool wine regions. So, like, wine regions actually p- putting money to market and stuff like that. So, you look at, like, wines of New Zealand, wines of Australia, which are, I guess, groups that spend money to help promote. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you have that. You have... So, countries marketing. Yeah, countries marketing, like, their wines cool to way. different people. Technology. You're thinking of things like Vendino and... Uh, apps for people to take pictures, sharing information. Yeah. And then I have to say social media, a lot of that um, social media, I think really kind of like passed off the gatekeepers before you had three or four men who decided which wines were cool. And those, those, that's what's through a number system, right. which was based off of tasting. But what happened is when you had social media, you had photos and you had people that you liked that they posted a wine and that you could decide for yourself if it was something that you wanted to drink. Right. We weren't allowed to even have a phone on the floor in the restaurant. Right. Let alone take photographs of bottles that were sold in the restaurant that night. So what is it like now? So sommeliers are kind of influencers on their own. Yeah, right? oh, absolutely. Your yeah. favorite sommelier is taking not only wines that, you know, that guests might be enjoying that evening or that they selected for guests that mm-hmm. they're enjoying. Um, they might be taking photos when they go and travel uh, to regions and stuff yeah. like that. You know, I have people who talk, who talk to me and say they don't even drink any alcohol. Yeah. But they follow me to, <laughs> to see what I'm drinking and to learn more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting thing. I'd have to say another thing is natural wine and organic wine. Right. And I would say the natural wine movement. That brought a lot of young people to drinking wine. Right. Um, but that had different values. Like they weren't reading scores or anything like that. And they were open to different things. And there's different ways and gateways that bring new drinkers in. And I think with that came a lot of diversity yeah. uh, in age, uh, background, mm-hmm. uh, race, uh, and how they enjoy those things. And um, I couldn't be more happier about it. Yeah, that segues us into my next question oh, and yeah. the next section, really, which is making wine accessible. Like there are so many people who drink a lot of wine because mm. they drink it, because yeah. they live in the world, but they're not really building knowledge and they're not really tasting it. Mm. And I'm curious if how you would teach us how to start. Like if there were three things that people could learn that you think would make them like... 60% smarter. Well, about wine. I, I, I think it's just one thing. You are an expert in your own taste. In the wine world, people give it up too mm. easy. They're like, I don't know anything, but you do know what you like. Yeah. Right. And I think if you start there, right, that's the easiest part. It's like, I know that I like this. Um, but also understanding that wine isn't, um, it's not a race to the end to find out what you like and then you drink it for the rest of your life. Right. That would seem pretty boring. Yeah. The whole idea, and what I tell people, you know, wine is not about monogamy. Right. 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 It's about trying every every different wine that you can. Where we can all start off is like knowing what you like and understanding that it's that you're an expert in your own taste. Mm-hmm. Me, as a sommelier, I'm just a tour guide. Right. I put the list together. I curated it. Uh, and I can walk you through it, especially if you can tell me what you like. 
Right. But how do you tell, how would I, if I didn't know anything, tell how, you what, you what like? I liked? But like, you know, if you like Diet Coke or regular Coke, right? Yeah. Or none of it. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. I think the hardest part in wine is how to explain it. Mm-hmm. So people say, oh, well, you know, you know, I don't, I like a dry wine and the dry wine and you're like, okay. What does so that you, mean? And so, yeah. So, yeah. so for 90% of the people, when they say I like a dry wine, they mean it gives the drying sensation in their mouth. Right. Right. But when you say dry wine and wine speak, that means the wine is not sweet. Right. Right. Which is 90% of the wines that most people drink. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of translation, I think, as a sommelier mm-hmm. that you have to do and uh, understanding people's taste. But I think first and foremost, you have to understand that you are an expert in your own taste. Yeah. The other thing that um, I think was kind of a relief to realize as I've learned about wine is just that, like, you don't have to use the words that everybody uses when it comes to wine. You can be like, I like that I can taste it in the front of my mouth, but then not at the back of my mouth. Or like, I like that uh, it tastes like a rainy day, like right after the rain is gone and you're like wet and tired, but it feels nice. No, no, no. You can kind of say whatever you want. I'll six and Home Depot. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think, you know, wine can be, you know, described as an emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about, it's like, just blurt it out. What does it remind you of? Yeah. You know, we had a young lady who was like, this reminds me of my grandpa. Mm-hmm. I go, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, he would pick me up and, you know, he picked me up and he would hug me. And in his breast pocket, he would have cigarellos. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so you're smelling cedar and tobacco. Right. Right. And so I think you can decipher and get to that. Yeah. Um, you know, but also like. What is in a tasting note? You know, I, you know, recently, you know, I was just like to hell with it. And so I just started describing wines with emojis. Oh, I like that. And I felt like that took a lot of the pretense out. And like you can, they have pictures of fruits and stuff like that. Yeah. So you can kind of get your point across a wine that has like the, the squirrely eyes. Right, right the circ- exactly. The swirly the eyes. Yeah. 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 And like yeah. all of those, I think there's ways to be able to do it. And I think mm-hmm. all of that is changing, you know. Yeah. Okay, Andre, I would yes. love if we could try some wine. Yes. Um, and you can kind of walk me through okay. how to taste. All right. Um, that sounds great. I'm going to grab some glasses good. and yes. bottle. sounds great. Okay. Yeah, so I thought it would be interesting, you know, just some classic, you know, thinking about summer, Sancerre. So both of these uh, selections are from France, Sancerre and the Loire Valley. Uh, so it's really Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Old War wines are really named after a place. So you have to know a little bit of something about wine. Uh, to know what grapes are in it. Um, but I do like the old world adage. It's like, um, it's about a sense of place. Okay. All right. So I'm going to pour you a little bit. Right. So Sancerre is a Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. But... It's made from the Sauvignon Blanc grape from the region of Sancerre okay. uh, in France. Generally, the first thing I do is like put my nose in it. I smell. Okay. All right. So you want to inhale through your nose and exhale through your mouth. Right. Okay. So you want to open up your olfactory senses. Um, 80% of taste is actually smell. Right. Right. And so then at this point, I probably want to just want to get a quick whiff and then I just want to swirl. Okay. So you're just like swirling the wine and this is like really aerating the wine. So then I'd go back to smelling and exhaling. Like, so to me, this smells like wet rock. Um, Definitely after it's rain. Yeah. It's a post rain. It's a definite post rain. Yeah. Totally. Um, Smells a little flinty. Mm hmm. So I'd say like a little, like a little bit of gun smoke, um, lemon custard. Lemon custard. What are you smelling? It smells to me like, I mean, I know it's made in Sancerre in France, mm-hmm. so it's not like by the coast, but there's something that smells a little like. This is, like by, this is by a river. Oh, it's by a river. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, it yeah, smells yeah, kind of yeah. like you're fishing and yeah. it's like, a, mm-hmm. I don't know, like an oyster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oyster, briny. Yeah. Yep. 
uh, sea seawater, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the wind blowing off of seawater. Like, yeah. Your face. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I think you can always have fun with it. And I yeah. think like it should just like in that way, it should just be organic. Like, yeah. like trying to, you see how it's like trying to find the word. Yeah. Right. But like, and so in wine speak, there's words for all of that. But yeah. like, what's great is like, oh, it reminds me of like when I went to the uh, Rockaway Park mm-hmm. the other day. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So now you can taste. Yeah. You hear all that noise I'm making? Yeah. Sounds like I'm kind of gargling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just pushing the wine in my mouth, uh, pushing it through my teeth, bringing air over it. But to me, it, it has like um, a tinge of an attic. You, ever been, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you're in an attic. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I would not say moldy, but it's like yeah. a, you know, a culmination of some of those things. So it just smells like, you know, like a, being up in a grandma's attic uh, in a way, which it is does, a fun way. Yeah, no, totally. It tastes a little musty. Yeah. Yeah. It also doesn't um, dry your mouth out. No, so it's not drying. But see, like for me, um, it's got acid. That doesn't mean that, oh, a sign that the wine is high in acid, right. uh, which is a good thing. I think acid's an amplifier, right? The reason why you put salt on food, lemon on seafood or anything like that is to really kind of crank up the flavors of a dish. You know, you're like at the barbecue and you're like, who made this potato salad, right? And you're putting salt on it because it tastes bland. And when you think about wines made in the old world, they tend to lead with acid that come from cooler climates, which I think which makes them better food wines. Yeah. When you um, said gunpowder, what did you mean by gunpowder? Yeah. Um, so uh, as a kid growing up, um, we used to have cap guns. Uh-huh. I, I'm sure it's totally not cool now. Just like candy cigarettes. <laughs> I think <laughs> right. we had them both at the same time. That was up <laughs> a time. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like sure. candy cigarette hanging out of my mouth, and I got a cap gun. Um, <laughs> but the kind that we had were on a roll, mm-hmm. and you put them in the gun, and you would hit them, and you would get this. You would get this gunpowder mm-hmm. kind of flint smell from when you capped them, when you expose them. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of that. Oh, like that's I get so that on the nose. Yeah. And I think you, like, those are the things like you can get specific about those things mm-hmm. because they're personal. And I've been drinking wine a lot, but those are it. And I think those are always safe to say. Yeah. It makes wine so much more fun. <laughs> it does. This is, yeah. That, that's fun. what's fun. Right? right. You know, it's like, yeah. All right. You want to move on to the red? Yeah. Let's try the red. And so for red, I thought like, you know, things I like to drink in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, from Beaujolais. So I think we all know some form of Beaujolais. Um, it's called Beaujolais Nouveau. That's the first pressing. It's meant to be consumed. It's a celebration of the harvest. It's meant to be consumed right away. Maybe within the first three months. Right. Most people don't drink Beaujolais from the previous year. But there's a whole region in Burgundy, uh, Beaujolais, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Some of the best ma- made wines in uh, France yeah. at this point. Right. Beaujolais has become more popular over the past couple of years. Absolutely. Why? <laughs> well, I mean, um, prices of Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Burgundy prices are astronomical you know so rising prices in burgundy um is one of those reasons and cool kids looking for wines that are similar this is made from gamay um Mm -hmm. which is a grape that i think people like say is very similar to pinot noir but not necessarily Mm -hmm. Uh, to me you know a lot of people get they say they get banana so you a lot of people say they smell banana So to me, I always get like... Interesting. Yeah, I get like a banana bread. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. All right. So, yeah. So I can see banana bread. It smells like um, like a savory, uh, like bubble gum. Oh, like, interesting. Um, think about bubble gum. And then like if you like chopped in like rosemary or thyme or some type of like <laughs> uh, herb de Provence or something or sprinkled it with it like that. Like it always tastes like uh, like chewing bubble gum to me. It smells yeah. like that. It has a little bit, a little bit of that. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of like pepper, raspberry. Wow. It doesn't taste like it smelled at all. Mm-mm. 
and um, it feels like it has more fruit than it smelled on the nose. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's very soft. It is. I don't know what that means. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not It's not abrasive. It's not harsh. It doesn't yeah. feel like big. It's like, um, you know, it feels pretty elegant. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we talk about. Like, you know, those are generally descriptors that you would use with something like burgundy, mm-hmm. where it was like silky and seductive. Right. I don't know. I'm like very distracted by how it feels like fuzzy, like a warm blanket or something. Like it just, go, it's just very. That's the alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. I know. But it's not like. There's nothing harsh about it. I feel it on the top of my mouth a little bit, and mm-hmm. like towards the back and the top of my mouth. Yeah. But it just kind of like coats and yeah. So um, this down. is a, a grape that doesn't have a lot of tannin. Yeah, a tannin is like um, think of um, sucks all the moisture out of your mouth, which yes. gives you that drying feeling, which you don't really have. No, um, and I think the kind of way that associate if you ever had black tea, mm-hmm. right? That gives you that feeling. It's very yeah. stringent. Uh, you don't have that. Yeah. So this is like. And you don't really have that in like uh, Pinot Noir, which is mm-hmm. a thin-skinned grape that doesn't have a, a lot of tannin. Cabernet, Syrah, mm-hmm. Malbec, those kind of grapes are very tannic. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think this wine spends a lot of time in oak. So you can get wood tannin as well. So part of a wine aging in a, in a new oak barrel mm-hmm. uh, will give some type of wood tannin that make it astringent as well. Yeah. Um, but you don't have that here. And I don't think this is any type of whole cluster. So I'm not get, picking up any uh, like a whole bunch of that if there's any at all. Wow. I guess if you had like, this is kind of my last question, but if you had one sort of hope for the wine industry and the wine world in the next five years or so, what would it be? Oh, man. I think just wine should be more and more about food. I think if we treat it that way, then all would be better. It, you know, it's like it just it, as Americans, it's so funny. We romanticize about other countries. So you think every Frenchman knows something about wine and they don't. Right. Right. Yeah. They do not right. at all. Yeah. And that's really funny and interesting to me where it's like, no, this should just be part of food. And like, I don't care what it is, actually. Right. 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 <laughs> so what is important to you? What's important is like that you're enjoying wine and the wine, wine is meant to make your life better, mm. right? It's a condiment to life, mm-hmm. right? It's supposed to make that book you're reading better, the <laughs> conversation with your friends, um, you know, like the movie that you're watching, the podcast that you're on, yeah, all of that. Like it's, it's there to make our lives better. Yeah. Uh, Andre, this is such Thank a you. delight. Thank you so, Thank much, so much for being here. Thanks for having me. That's the show. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. This was the second episode of our special mini series about food and drink. I have dropped links to Andre's YouTube show and everything else mentioned today in our show notes, as well as a special discount to a subscription to the FT. That's also at ft.com slash weekend podcast. We always love to hear from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. You can say hi on social media. We're on Twitter at ftweekendpod. And I am on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. I spend most of my social media time talking to all of you on Instagram. Next week, we have an excellent conversation with the chef Dan Barber on the Seed to Table Revolution that was recorded live just recently at the U.S. FT Weekend Festival. This episode was produced by Zach St. Louis, executive produced by Topher Forges, and sound engineered by Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Have a great week, and we will find each other again this weekend. It's summer, and you know what that means. It's time for a Plymouth gin and tonic. 
So grab yourself a glass and some ice. Start with a pourer of Plymouth Gin, which is distilled using a blend of seven botanicals. Add in some tonic, then finish with a slice of orange. Now that is the perfect gin and tonic. Plymouth Gin, distilled with care and craft in England since 1793.